is a tasty burger. Well, we're going, we don't need no. The whole world's gone crazy! Am I the only one around here who can take about the rules? Conflicts and Interests with Eric Kahn and Mike Montague. Hey, Eric, how are we doing today? You know what? Uh, I am... <laughs> speechless? I am... I, I am... I am... Yes, yeah, suddenly speechless. No, I'm good. I've got a million things going on in my head, and uh, the world continues to be a fascinating place. Um, Mother Nature continues to do what she does, and we continue to misinterpret what she's doing, uh, depending on what it is, because we're looking oftentimes at, uh, at the moment and not uh, yeah. necessarily data in history. So it's, it's an interesting world we live in. It's an interesting world, and we're an interesting species. I'm always fascinated how we take things in various directions. One, one, one thing that is interesting, and it, there's a thread of this through anything and everything we, we have and probably will talk about, this is this growing... Uh, battle or positioning uh, against science and reality, people just shaping their own perspectives. Like somehow, if you say it, if you think it, then somehow it come, becomes real. And, and that applies in so many areas with regards to politics, with regards to climate change, with regards to uh, health issues, with regards to the pandemic. It's, it's just interesting. It's like, Suddenly, yeah, we can create I, I wanna, we can create an alternative reality on just about anything now. I want to jump in and make a pretty bold statement right now, and uh, probably piss off a few people, and that's okay. They probably didn't like me anyway. Uh, and and but we'll do a poll later to see just just who really does <laughs> still like you, Arif. Whoever liked you to begin with. Um, <laughs> You know, they, they say that if you haven't made an enemy, then you really haven't done anything worth, uh, worth you know, that's notable. So, but when I look at the world, Mike, you just, you talk about that and, and suddenly you reminded me of a recent flashback that I had a conversation that I was having with a client and somehow this idiot's ended up in the technology sector and, and, and building advanced platforms and softwares and all that kind of stuff. And no, I'm not the guy coding anything out. Um, but I just realized that, you know, just a, a few short years ago, call it 30 years ago. Uh, oh, somebody you know your old win. <laughs> yeah. Some, but somebody mentioned, Mike, that the genius is taking something complex and making it simple. Now, that's a statement that everybody's already heard. But the genius of technology, when Bill Gates first rolled out this idea behind Windows, which people will say is a ripoff of apples, but he got it to mass market sooner, let's call it. You take a Windows operating system and nobody knows how to use it. I mean, only the very select few actually took the computer course and the coding and wrote, has mm. figured out how to write strings and that kind of stuff. And sure, computing was doing its real thing. But then they said, well, how do we bring this to the masses? You'll never do it if you try to force everybody to learn how to write code. So why don't we make the system figure out how to be point and click so that you can actually get the function that you want done. And when you click on something, it goes and automatically does that whole se sequence of different commands mm. for you in an instant. And I was like, okay, that's genius. Like, that's amazing. Right. So the genius was that computers will make life simple and you'll have all these people who will be able to do things that require all of this code and sequence of events without actually having to know how to do it. 
It's kind of like taking away long division or multiplication and handing somebody a calculator. It's no different than that, really, if you think yep. about it. But the argument was that it will allow us to be more productive. It'll allow us to open our minds and become smarter and focus our energies on things that are more meaningful. Why bother learning how long how to do long division when it all it is is that you want the yeah. result? And then Fo when you have the result, you can go be more effective. Creative and inventive endeavors rather than the nuts and bolts of arriving at, you know, mathematical solutions. Let's let a machine so do here, that. Let's let that so archive all those thoughts. Here's my challenge. I think today, or I think progressively, we are seeing the result or the side effect of that, that we have, that we allowed people to believe that it was no longer important to learn how to do things the long mm. way first before figuring out the shortcut. If the power goes out and the cash register doesn't work, do you know how to make change for a five? Yeah. Right. And so what we're seeing well, on we've Facebook made ourselves very and social media yes. now, we have, and what we're seeing on social media now is exactly what you just talked about. We have a society of people who have been allowed to grow up not having to actually do the research, not actually having to do the homework, not actually having to study before we speak. Mm -hmm. And so we have all of these people, like you said, and I don't care whether you're pro or anti this or that. Yeah. We've got a lot of people espousing opinions who have not bothered to do the homework so that they get to their argument because there are the highest of high intellects who do the research, do their data and come to a table and have a debate and an argument and show opposing, uh, um, you know, theories and arguments, et cetera. And it's an intellectual discussion. Yeah. That is not what's rolling out on social media today. No. Well, the upside of computers and technology is we've created efficiency. We've made some things faster. I mean, there's a lot of upsides, but that downside, as you pointed out, is it's made us very reliant. 20 years ago, I'd take someone through a fixer-upper house, and I was more likely to see someone in their 30s or 40s buying that house going, that's ah, no problem. We can, we can fix that. We can fix that. No, no, that's okay. Yeah, I'd, there was no fear. You had a generation that grew up standing beside their fathers who showed them how to change a spark plug, how to build a birdhouse in the garage, uh, you know, use power tools and that. A lot of, and I won't say all, but a greater percentage of young people today coming up don't even own a toolbox, uh, I would hazard to guess. And because they become very reliant, dependent on things, your father's toaster uh, stopped working uh, when you were a kid, chances are he took it out to the garage and he took it apart and put it back together. The equivalent the of that with real estate mm -hmm. is everyone wants turnkey. They want that house where it, nothing needs to be done because nobody has those skills or the aptitude to to do those things. And computers only made that worse. And the other thing computers have done that scares the hell out of me, I think, is it's given people like you and me and everybody else a platform. This is exactly what this is to speak. And that's something that can be utilized and used in a very good way. And it can sharing knowledge is always a good thing, uh, most often a good thing. But as well as knowledge can be shared, so can conspiracy and strange ideas and everything else. And you know, these cliques form between people who will never meet one another, but suddenly they're reassured that others are thinking along those same strange lines as them. And we see a lot and of then, strange realities or sub realities morph from all of that. And we're seeing that 
more and more. Yeah, well, here here we are, the make two idiots with the, with a podcast espousing ideas. Right? I know. So. There's the name that we should have gone with: two idiots and a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but but you're. No, no, we can always rebrand, we can always change it up. But the reality is that you're absolutely right. I mean, there is so much good that can be done with it. But, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, there, there is going to be the argument for, for those who choose to never accept responsibility, there is always an opportunity to, um, to, to pass on that responsibility, aka blame someone else. And so we are living, you're absolutely correct. When when we state, you know, there's that continued separation or that greater divide between the haves and the have-nots or the rich and the, the, the rich will continue to get richer and the poor will continue to get poor. Um, you know, we, we, can, we can point a finger, we can blame, we can say, well, it's Bill Gates' fault uh, because Windows is the reason I'm broke or we can come up with anything that we want to. Um, at, at, at some point, uh, I think it, it's, it's, it's each of our responsibility to decide that we have gotten just uncomfortable enough that we're willing to get up and do something about it. And until yeah. we are uncomfortable enough, we're not going to. So well, hence the show. That's when change the show is, comes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's, that has to do politically when you've got uh, revolutions or rebellion happening. Look at what's going on in Cuba. Look what's going on in Haiti. Uh, yeah. We've got obviously there are there are challenges in China, there are challenges in India yeah. and Pakistan on the border that are historic. Uh, there are challenges once again in Afghanistan. For some reason, we're not paying much attention to it on the world stage, but the Taliban and ISIS are making a severe comeback. Palestine is having its challenges uh, with their neighbors in Israel, and uh, Palestine actually has its challenges with its own self-government, right? Yeah. With its own government internally. And the question becomes, and I was, I was put to the test, and I think rightly so, uh, you look at the people of Palestine, they don't like their situation, and lots of people don't like their situation. But when they finally get inconvenienced enough, will That's they it. stand up? And You need to be outside of that comfort zone or tolerance zone i'll call it that it's not even necessarily we'll you'll go beyond it's more local example of that uh, just in in reading a lot of the stuff i've been reading around the berry tornado that we had you know a week and a half ago and uh, people are recovering from that there's certain people who are putting forward requests to the government and hoping to get a bill passed that would see hurricane straps uh, put onto home roofs uh, something that would help secure roofs far better so that when a tornado comes through or a, a you know a, a big storm or downburst anything that's going to get the winds moving roofs don't fly off like a house of cards but but what was interesting that i read was that the ontario building code um the original building code any changes that were made to that code since its first uh iteration um came about as a result of a crisis as a result of a of, of something negative happening. We need to get out of our comfort zones. And that's a, a nice cliche. And, and you can't just wake up and willfully say, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. Something has to happen to you to take you out of your comfort zone uh, or take all of us collectively out of our comfort zones before there's change. So you, it's kind of like the other saying is you got to hit bottom first before you come back, whether it's a personal challenge or a group challenge. Absolutely. And I think that I think that that's um, that's warranted. I don't think this is the first conversation around um, straps no. that's been had in the building code. I think, uh, yeah. yeah, hurricane. But straps, this may I be think, the yeah. one situation that that hitting bottom, that's enough of a 
a motivation. Yeah, something I'm going to argue. I'm going to argue something about that, though, Mike. And I would say to you that we have far more house fires uh, on a regular basis than we do tornadoes or hurricanes. True. And if you actually were to look at the number of people who die because of uh, the gas was left on or carbon monoxide or a fire because of a cigarette or something like that, you know, there could be lobbying for a period of time suggesting that we should have sprinkler systems in our homes. Why do we have them in commercial yep. environments and office environments when, when, when there's a, when there's a 95% chance that nobody's sleeping there Yeah. in an office environment yet when it is where we're sleeping and we're not paying attention uh, we don't have, we don't have fire suppression. Yeah. Right. Sadly, so, so mm-hmm. I was just going to say, sadly, because these are more frequent occurrences, we develop a higher tolerance level for them. Right. Tornadoes come once actually, every you do six the data, years. Th- th- there's actually far more cases of fire. No, I agree with you. Deaths or something like that. So this is something that got some media attention Yes, it was devastating. I'm not going to play this. It's rare. The visuals are, 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 you know, so in your face when you see it. And because it's a rarer occurrence, it seems bigger. And I would always encourage people though, to, to, to count to five, to count to 10 before we go uh, taking opportunity to become an activist about something or another. And let's see actually what happened because I mean, from from my side of the keyboard, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know whether there weren't enough number of screws at the right interval and the right amount of frequency of screws applied to hold nails, the roof to nails, the, the joist. Nails, to the, yeah. To the joist. I don't know. See, That's I what's being screws. reported. What the hell but, do I know? But it's right? premature. Yeah. Well, I think I think to have some guy, for, you know, come in and make a pretty bold statement is certainly going to raise eyebrows. Uh, and the only thing that's going to come out of that is then the city <laughs> has to say, whoa, 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 we have a policy here. And then the city's making a premature statement because neither the, they neither, the plaint- neither the plaintiff nor the defendant, so to speak, has actually had the opportunity to go through and properly investigate because yeah. the, the, the buildings have been deemed unsafe. So nobody's actually gone and done the adequate amount of research well, to figure out what happened and what didn't happen allegedly before we can start pointing picture yeah, fingers allegedly yeah, first they of all are great going, word there allegedly yeah they're, they're they they are starting to go through and have been going through and they are noticing some of these joists had no nails at all again it's Absolutely. allegedly and i'll use that let's term. wait let's wait for that but to once come out, we though. know cons- you know when 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 the when the evidence uh, is pre- presented and it's conclusive then we can all make a statement but until then, you know, inspectors shouldn't be talking to the media saying, well, we, we, we think we saw this or that. At the same time, representatives of the city of Barrie, planning and engineering departments should not be making blanket statements. And the city should and must follow the rules. They have a protocol that they have to follow. But I think the appropriate thing to do is just to say, listen, nobody stands to gain by pointing fingers this early in the game. Yeah, let's you know, this is this is a tragic event. Let's not capitalize on anything. Well, that's let's make sure that do, let's make way. sure that people get the help that they need, and we will do what we need to do. We will yeah. make sure that the rules are followed, and if they weren't, yeah. then we're going to have a conversation. So, you know, both things we've talked about here: the possibility that homes were not built solid enough to withstand, or as solid as they could be, to have a chance against a tornado, and as well the other issue, which you, know, you rightfully stated, is a bigger issue, and that is fire safety in homes. Are we building homes as safe as 
they can and should be and need to be. And then the other question that comes up is, where's the line that we draw and how safe we make them? Because every increment of safety we add to a home also adds to the cost of those homes uh, at a time when housing prices are so ridiculously expensive. Yeah. So, so let's you argue weigh your that risk one out against for a reward. And let's uh, argue that though, Mike, because I mean, I think first of all, our local fire service has a great trailer setup and it's got a setup that basically has on the left side, I'm, I'm totally lying to you possibly in terms of, I, I'm just going by memory, but on the one side of the trailer, they have the house that was built with materials 50 years ago that were natural based. It's made out of wood and brick and stone and this kind of stuff. And then on the other side of the trailer, you've got all the stuff that's made that you can buy at the local big box store that's made in China that's got all sorts of petroleum, um, resins? petroleum resins and glues and MDFs and all these artificial materials that have toxins when they burn, et cetera. And they, they do a burn test and they put the two side by side and the one burns slow and it burns at a certain temperature. It's the one that's made out of natural wood, et cetera. It burns slow, natural temperatures, uh, aside from typical wood smoke, there's no toxins, et cetera, et cetera. And it goes up in a certain amount of time. The other one on the other side that's got all this man-made prefab stuff that's made out of garbage goes up hotter, goes up faster. You've got less time to escape and you've got all these other toxins that are in the air that are going to carcinogens and things like that. Yeah. So that, that's, that's, that's one test. The other thing though, Mike, is you talk about this at incremental cost, absolutely incremental cost. But if you take now $7,500 to install currently to custom install a fire suppression system in the average home and the average home call it 1700 to 2400 square feet i don't know so it's about 7500 dollars to do suppression mm -hmm. but that's because like solar panels like big screen tvs and like everything else when it's a one-off and it's not mass produced and it's not yeah. the standard your cost per unit is economies higher. of scale yeah economies of scale but when you put fire suppression into every single home built not only does the price go down but think about the savings that would be forced upon the insurance company in terms of mm -hmm. premiums, a minimum of 20% down yeah. per year. Not over to mention the your municipal taxes. Pays for itself. Yeah, your municipal taxes that are paying for those first responder resources that are having to show up for these fires. Yeah. And oh, by the way, what's your life worth? Because I mean, we spend plenty of time being told if you love your family, buy this vacuum cleaner, or if you love your family, buy this HEPA filter. Well, if you love your family, put fire suppression in and make yep. it law, make it the code, and it will pay for itself. End yep. of story. Why don't, why don't, uh, it sounds so logical when you and I hear the two idiots with a podcast talk about it. Why do our leaders not that really see should that? be our thing? <laughs> <laughs> it's a subtitle. It's, you know uh, what? Why? Because because actuaries, uh, if they really wanted it, if insurance companies really wanted it to make sure that they weren't, you know, that they were doing what was in the best interest of, of society, they would. But there's too much money to be able to, to, to be made by, you know, you got, you got 50,000 homes and two homes a year burn. You're making all of that premium, all that extra gravy, uh, because you're covering people in the event of fire, but you're not actually paying it out. So that, you know, if they really, I mean, again, this is, this is conflict so of interest. Profit That's what is, is a negative motivator. Profit. Absolutely. And, if and, we wanted and more to often than smoking, not, we would more often than not. Uh, it's uh, yeah. But um, if, if we wanted to stop smoking, we would, if we wanted to cure cancer, we probably could, uh, you know, I and wonder again, about I'm not that. a scientist. I, 
I'm, I, I'm... I, I look at the, the level of motive and, and effort and uh, the expense of dollars and man hours, person hours and everything else that went into creating a, um, the, the vaccines that we have now that a year ago, never mind a year ago, just before Christmas, we weren't sure if or when we would have them. Uh, it just shows me that when the, your feet are put to the fire and there was a sense of urgency and then there's cooperation globally, we can accomplish quite a bit. And, and I can't help but wonder if that same enthusiasm and effort and resources were put towards finding that cure or treatment for cancer. Could we do it? I mean, when I look at it, and I just I thought about this literally just two days ago, coming back from uh, the grocery store, picking up some eggs and milk and driving past a house of a fellow who went, I watched the last year of his life last year, uh, he just passed away, mm -hmm. and going through chemotherapy and radiation. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I hope in my lifetime, we, we, we come to a point where we look on that type of treatment and equate it to the way we look at how we may have treated people in the 1800s, like bleeding them with leeches. And it's such a medieval type of treatment for 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 a disease uh chemotherapy and uh radiation i mean you're basically taking a person's body and bringing it as close to death as you can without killing them in the hopes of killing the something that's living inside of them we end up saying when that person finally dies and more often than not it seems someone with you know advanced cancer going through treatment is going to pass and then people say well at least they're no longer suffering which is equivalent to me of someone saying to about someone who died of starvation, well, at least they're no longer hungry. It's, it, it just doesn't satisfy me. Um, we got to do better. Yeah, Mike, listen, sure, we can do better. But when, when the entire world looks to the pharma uh, companies and says, we're willing to pay you whatever you want, just get us the vaccine and give them away for free. They're not for free. We can not solve it because we're not curing it. There's a new variant and there will be another variant and there will be another variant, but, but we can address it. But you've now got these pharmaceutical companies that say, oh, sure, we'll go put our minds together and make it happen because the governments of every single country around the world are going to pay us whatever we ask for to make oh. this happen. There's money in healthcare. Well, there is. And healthcare, by the way, is not healthcare. No. But if you're the it's company, reactive, it's not proactive. Yeah, if right? you're it's, the company that, that brings about that safe treatment for for cancer that is more than seventy five percent effective, you're going to do quite well. Did I mean, did I mention that we make products though that are full of carcinogens that will burn and create off gases and stuff like no, that? No, I know. Everything I realize that. And no. by the way, in our food production systems, we've got the. I'm not going to point out. Well, I am going to point out single-handedly the Monsanto of the world. But then there's the Monsantos and every other that have. It's not about GM. It's not just about GMO. GMO in itself is not bad, but no. it's all the other things that go into it. The pesticide sprays in use because because we need to have shiny red and green apples. We can't have an apple that no. a worm would eat. Yeah. Right. So when we eat when we eat all of these modified and sprayed and pesticide pesticide infused foods in North America, you're, what, you're surprised that we've got a cancer rate that we do? Awareness levels are growing. And, and I think we're starting to pay a little more attention. I'm certainly paying a lot more attention to what I put into my body than, uh, you know, I did in my 20s and 30s. Uh, partly because don't mind you know, me while you're, you're a little more aware of your own mortality as you age. But uh, the other bigger part of that I'd like to think is, there's there is more of a movement towards that and there's more information out there that 
we just didn't think about when our parents fed us Oscar Mayer hot dogs. They weren't thinking about the nitrates or anything that were, it was just. Give it to Mikey, he'll eat anything. That's exactly was, that's the, the catchphrase for how we dined for, you know, for far too long. Um, but we're coming back around to eating more naturally, I think, deliberately and ironically. So we'll see where it all goes. Well, it's funny, you know, when, when organic costs five times more or call it well, it should 150% yeah. of, of what the other one costs. But, you know, again, I mean, again, let's go back to the beginning of the conversation around technology. Technology itself is phenomenal. It's fascinating. And we have, we, again, not me, has figured out how to grow 300% the amount of food on 30% the amount of land. Where's the downside of that? 20 years ago. Oh, is there one? I don't, I don't know because we, we figured out how to utilize green um, greenhouses. We figured out how to cycle our soil differently. Yeah. Yes. There's GMOs in there. Yes. There's PS, but that's the good GMOs. But, but with, with herb, and that's why I said there are some that are good, but but with and, and it's not GMOs itself, not necessarily bad. It's the other stuff that's bad. But but we have figured out with technology, with robotics, literally with robotics, how to uh, produce more with less. Yeah, and we've had to, and that's really the beauty of science. That's really the beauty of technology, and that doesn't mean um, bad produce. That that it can actually be really good scientifically. Uh, you know, what do you call them um, studied and, and dissected to make sure that the chemical content and the nutrient yeah. contents are exactly what they should be. We're producing really good stuff because we have four seasons, for example, in Canada, but with technology, they figured out how to grow crops uh, uh, year round. Mm. Right. So th- that in itself, you don't just have one growing season. You've got two and three and four growing seasons that they yeah. can, they can churn this stuff out. So, uh, and again, it is important. It's not just leafy green, it's leafy green and has nutrients, right? And that, that's the test I think that has to be ensured. But with, with regards, have. yeah, with regards to our food, uh, it comes down to like everything else we've talked about so far here, there's a profit element to it and a profit motivator. And the people at the top making the decisions, the big decision is, do we give the people what they want or do we give the people what they need and the two are going to merge at some point ideally but when you when you ask the question of do we give the people what they want or what they need i mean what was that quote that henry ford said or even winston churchill said as well uh you mentioned it earlier but i don't think we were actually uh, recording at the time the one i mentioned about henry ford he said if i'd correct uh given the people what they'd ask for we'd, we'd have faster horses today Exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and so, so in terms of the question of who, who are we listening to in those, the power of the P, you know, uh, well, first and foremost, the double-edged sword is do we, if I don't give the people what they want and if I give the, and if I give the people what they need, will I still get reelected? That's the actual question that needs to be asked. And unfortunately there aren't um, too many politicians out there. There are a few and credit to those who, yeah. who fall into this category but there aren't too many politicians out there who aren't simply there for self-preservation and actually are well, there to do what I, is I, right. I, damn the consequences. Yeah. And ideally I think a good politician or good leaders in general, be they from the private sector or the public sector are ones who can bring that divide between what we want and what we need closer together, if not merging. 
Um, we do, we don't spend enough time doing that or enough effort, obviously, uh, we failed at it somehow, um, and continue to fail at it, but, uh, and look at us, we're just on the brink of another election likely to come in the fall. And, uh, we'll see how that one plays out. Mike, I do have to, uh, call this one. Um, I, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this, but I'm actually on yeah, a hard stop we'll that I got to keep an yeah. eye out for. Let's get out there and, uh, and do what we do. Okay. Enjoyed the conversation, Arif. What's this? Podcast number three. And I don't think we've offended anyone personally, but that doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't a good podcast, but uh, we can make up for that with the next one. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. I'll talk to you in a bit. Okay. Take care, Arif. Have a good day. Thanks, Mike. You too. We've got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.